Bible over and over and over, and there's always, we're always fed by it. And the Old Testament is so rich, but fewer chapters more rich than the one we're in today, Exodus 14. Exodus 14, the parting of the Red Sea. The parting of the Red Sea. Let's pray before we begin. Thank you, Lord, that you do part our Red Seas. Lord, we know that we're not coming here just to read fairy tales. These are real events that have application to our lives, Lord, that we too, as there will be one or more or many more red seas right in front of us with the enemy right behind us with nowhere to go, Lord. We want to be proved faithful, Lord, in those. And I just, I pray, Lord, that we would read this this evening, not just out of curiosity, but for the purpose of applying it, Lord, in our lives and praying and encouraging others, Lord, who have a Red Sea before them. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. I tell you, the heart and soul of the Old Testament is in these chapters. I, 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 I do like so much of the Old Testament. I love teaching through the Old Testament and first and second Samuel is just I'm really looking forward to getting back there. But I tell you these chapters they're so rich. So we were in the Passover. The Passover uh, last chapter in Exodus uh, in the last few chapters in Exodus 12 and 13. And we saw the emphasis last week on where the Lord told the children of Israel, look, this is really, really, really important. Don't forget this. And repeatedly in, for example, in chapter uh, 13, they are told, you need to remember this day. The 10th plague of Egypt, the one that God used to deliver you from Egypt, the night where the, uh, the angel, the destroyer angel, the angel of judgment, passed over the houses of the children of Israel, that is, the houses that had obeyed the word of God and they had slaughtered a lamb without blemish, had put the blood over the doorposts and on the sides, a, a, a sign of, of the cross. And they had put their trust in that. They didn't just hear the instructions, they did the instructions. And then it happened. And the judgment passed over them. And all the firstborn of the Egyptians were killed. And that includes the animals 
And so the clear picture of the world today in, in, in John chapter 30. It says, believe in the Lord and you will have eternal life. But those who don't believe, the judgment of God remains on them. So the, the judgment was on the whole land of Egypt, including the Israelites. But because of the blood of the Lamb... The Lord passed over and delivered them just as we, in Christ, as we put trust in our Passover lamb, 1 Corinthians says, we are delivered from judgment. And so, then here in chapter 13, right before the chapter we're in today, repeatedly tell them, remember this day, verse 3, verse 8, uh, you shall tell your sons about this uh, time. In verse 9, it shall be a sign to you and a memorial to you. Verse 10, you shall keep, therefore, this ordinance in its season from year to year. Uh, and then in, in verse uh, 12, it talks about they shall set aside the firstborn of the womb. So all the animals that came out uh, that were the firstborn of a, uh, of a sheep or a, um, a goat or whatever kind of lot, livestock, it was the Lord and it was tied directly to this Passover event. In other words, just like communion for us, we are given communion so that we don't forget our deliverance. Again, in verse 14 of chapter 13, so it shall be when your son asks uh, you in time to come, what is this that you shall say by strength of hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. And I was just reading this week. I was just reading this week in the time of Hezekiah. They hadn't. They hadn't celebrated the Passover for years and years and years. At the time of Josiah, they hadn't been celebrating the Passover for years, probably generations at that time. And isn't it interesting how the Lord can remind us over and over and over again, we were in Hebrews chapter 10 this morning, over and over again, he says, by one sacrifice, by one offering, he is perfected forever those who are being sanctified. And he says that again. And he says that again in Hebrews chapter 10. But we still think, no, we got to add something. We got to make our own offering. Um, you would think we would get it, but we don't. That's why we have communion. You think they would have remember, uh, remembered uh, their, the fact that they needed to continue this Passover, but they didn't. Uh, they they stopped it for ge uh, for, for for at sometimes generations at ten twenty thirty forty fifty years at a time. That's why Hezekiah and Josiah were were among many other reasons are are lifted up as an example of righteous, good, God fearing kings because they reinstituted the Passover. So in chapter fourteen. Verse 1 says, Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, that they turn and camp before Pi-Harathoth. Oh no, man, that was way off. Pi-Harathoth. 
between Migdol and the sea opposite of Baal Zephon, you shall camp before it by the sea, right in front of the sea, right in front of the sea. You know what we can know just by that verse? We can know that God leads us right into trials. And sometime when we're in the biggest trials of our, of our life, it's because he in his sovereign will directed us there. So oftentimes when the sky start, starts falling down in our lives, we first assume that I must not be in the will of God. I must be out of God's favor. I, I, no, they, they were in God's favor here, the children of Israel were. And yet he directed them right to the shores of the Red Sea. And that's where he has us. That's where his glory so often uh, goes forth, shines forth, is made known in the midst of trial. Verse 3, for Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, they are bewildered by the land. The wilderness has closed them in. Then I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue them and I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army that the Lord uh, rather that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. Remember that we spoke about the reasons for these 10 plagues that devastated the land of Egypt. And of course, one of them was that the Israelites would be delivered, but also that the Israelites would get to know God. They had come to the place where they were enslaved and knew very little of God. They had actually embraced the Egyptian gods. But another purpose of the plagues was because God loved the Egyptians. And of verse 4, so that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. Now, it was told the king of Egypt that the uh, people had fled and the heart of Pharaoh and his servants was turned against the people. And they said, why have we done this? That we have let Israel go from serving us. This is just craziness, right? I mean, we have been for weeks and just seen the whole land of Egypt completely destroyed. And to read verse 6, so he made ready his chariot and took his people with him. Hey, guy, what are you thinking? <laughs> Do you not know what's happened every other time you have resisted this Yahweh, this Lord? Oh, man, a hardened heart. Bible says in Hebrews 4, when you hear God's voice, do not harden your heart. Verse 7, also he took 600 choice chariots and all the chariots of Egypt with captains over every one of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the children of Israel and the children of Israel went out with boldness. Went out with boldness. So the Egyptians pursued them, all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh, his horsemen and his army, and overtook them camping by the sea besides Pi-Haharoth before Baal-Zephon. So keep in mind that the children of Israel here, uh, this is not like in the time of David where there's 600 mighty men that had been trained over a decade to be one of the most really awesome fighting forces 
in the history of the world. This is a bunch of slaves, not to minimize the dignity of any human being, including slaves, but they didn't know how to fight. They didn't know how to war, and they didn't have any weapons. And here they are with 600 choice chariots and an army right behind them. Verse 10 says, And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were afraid, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. They cried out to the Lord. This is not what they expected. I think all of us who have been walking with the Lord for any length of time sometimes four years or five years into walking with the Lord, sometimes a year into walking with the Lord, sometimes four months into walking with the Lord, sometimes four weeks or four days, all of a sudden something hits and you're like, wait, this is not what I bargained for. I never even expected anything like this trial to happen. I thought things would be easier now that I have the Lord. Jesus never promised us to, that the world would be free of, of trouble. He never promised us an easy life. He did promise us a life with him, though, that he would be with us in the trouble. But they look up, they lift up their eyes. You can just imagine. They see this army uh, coming towards them. On this Sunday morning, we just finished the series in spiritual warfare. In fact, we finished the book of Ephesians. And one of the things that we, we kept on uh, each week almost, I think every week, we were in that series. We quoted the, the verse from Colossians chapter 1 where it says, God transferred us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of the Son of His love. And we just made the point that when you're rescued from the kingdom of darkness, Satan is agitated. He's mad, and he'll come back and get you. Pharaoh uh, in, in Egypt, uh, throughout the Bible, is a type of the world. Pharaoh is a type of Satan, and yet uh, God will force Satan to let you go. That's what happens when every single person is saved. God basically forces his hand. Sorry, not that one. They're gone. They're in the kingdom of my, uh, of my son. But to be sure, just like Pharaoh, the devil, he'll come and try to get you back. Even though he can't. He can't get you back into his kingdom. He can get you back into a carnal life and a life where you're following him. He can do that for a season. But uh, he can't get you back. But here, Pharaoh, a type of Satan... God has forced him to let the people go. But here, here he is. He is going after. He is going after them, trying to get them back. Now, you it says they cried out to the Lord, and unfortunately, this was not a this was not a cry of faith. Because in verse eleven it says, Then they said to Moses, Be because they're, this is one of these classic verses 
from the children of Israel in the wilderness? Is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we were told? We told you in Egypt saying, let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. I tell you, I marvel at Moses. I really, really do. Other than Jesus Christ, I, this guy had the hardest job in, in the Bible. I, I really, and now he is a distant second. I mean, you know, Jesus taking on the sin of the world, the judgment of God. He, he's a distant, distant second. But maybe Jeremiah is in third place, but he's a distant third. I mean, this guy, he, 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 we will see. No, who would ever want this job? He had just this gigantic population just insulting him. I guess the, the big difference to me with Jeremiah, Jeremiah had a hard job too, but Moses led these people out of slavery. And, and there's just such a lack of grateful disappreciation. They turn against them at every turn. Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you've taken us here? Ah, now they had seen all the plagues. And remember there was this phenomenal, God differentiated in the land of Egypt the, the Israelites and the Egyptians. So even the plague of darkness where they couldn't see their hand in front of their eyes, it was so dark, the ninth plague, it was light in the land of Goshen. Now how that happened, I don't know. But the other plagues as well, the, the, the hail and the other uh, plagues did not afflict the children of Israel. They should have known by now that God was going to bring deliverance. And, and listen, this is, we're not just reading this because we're curious. And this is a nice little tale. This applies to your life. You have a history with God. Every single one of you have a history with God and he has been faithful to you. And it's so important that you reflect upon just the, the history of, of God in your life. Otherwise, you'll, you'll become proud, but also in the day of evil... So we were talking about this morning in Ephesians 6, but here's the day of, this is a day, a type of a day of evil right here. You're going to falter. And you, who, Isaiah 43, were created to bring God glory, will miss that opportunity to bring Him glory. You'll, 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 you'll bring Him shame. You are the people of the name, the name of God, the Bible says. And God's preparing us for these times to bring glory to Him. To bring glory to Him. Verse 13, this is leadership. You want to know what leadership looks like? Verse 13, and Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. You know, fear is so contagious. Fear is so incredibly contagious. I tell you, all you need to do to sell a lot of CDs and become real popular, come up with a conspiracy theory about how you know someone's going to take over uh, the world. Now, we know the Antichrist is going to do it, but your own little conspiracy theory about um, you know the central banks or whatever taking 
taking our freedom away and being locked up you know in prisons and 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 you know and this type of thing and then it's going to come real soon and and this there's entire websites dedicated to this and every time i see christians drawn into that they're in for a big fall every without exception i i i've seen it but um we're supposed to be focusing on the lord you know eschatology to be sure uh, we're supposed to be looking um, to, for, to Jesus' return, and we're supposed to understand what the birth pangs look like. But people sell fear. They sell it. They sell fear. After 9-11, there was people running around saying all kinds of stuff, and um, it was just craziness. And, and rather than people putting their eyes on the Lord, they're putting their eyes on all these crazy things, that these spooks, you know, they're conspiracy behind every door. Be careful of that. Be careful of it. And the best thing to do when you're surrounded with people who are caving into fear is do just what Moses did. Do not be afraid. And, and, and you know, by the way, that is a, that, that's a good standard, a good measure as to whether, if you do have a warning for people, a warning from the Lord about, you know, what's going on in the world, and, cer- and certainly the world is unraveling around us, but if the end result is that they're filled with fear, something's wrong with your preaching. Something's very wrong, unless they're not saved. That's a completely different issue. But if the people of God are filled with fear after hearing you, something is wrong. Because the Bible says that we haven't been given the spirit of fear, but of love, um, uh, of love, power, and a sound mind. And so uh, he says, do not fear. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. I remember as a, a young believer reading this, and this just fired me up so much. And this verse is just one of the best verses in the Bible, right? The, the Egyptians, who you see today, you shall see again no more. Because the Lord will fight for you. We're told the same thing in Romans chapter 8. You're more than a conqueror. Why? Because the Lord fights for you. And you shall hold your peace. Now, the next verse is a real interesting one so, because the Lord says, and the, and the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward. And it, it really raises a fair question. Should he really have told them to stand still? Because the next thing you hear is, is uh, he clearly needs to tell them to be still in their heart. But the very next thing the Lord says is, no, you need to tell them to move forward. You need to tell them to move forward. And lift up your rod, verse 16, and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. And I indeed will harden the hearts of the Egyptians and they shall follow them. So I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army, his chariots and his horsemen. Pharaoh is a type of Satan, and I think a fair 
interpretation of, of these other things, his army, his chariots, and, and his horsemen. In Revelation, we learn that a, a third of the angels in heaven followed Lucifer when he was cast out of heaven. Your life is a witness to devils and demons. It is. When you obey the Lord, when Satan goes before the Lord and says, You know, I know that. I know that Jerry Felice guy. I know that guy. He only follows you because he's happily married to this wonderful woman named Melissa, who her pastor calls Erica. Has two wonderful kids. He's got a job. You take. You take his job away. You take his health away. He's not going to follow you anymore. And that's what he says. That type of thing. Each of you in here. Satan does. He approaches the throne of God. But when you continue and you walk by faith, regardless of what's going on at your job, in your life, just like Job, he complained. He did his share, a fair share of complaining, but he didn't curse God. He didn't walk away from God. His life is a tes- was a testimony um, not only not only to the people of God, but to the demonic realm, to the angels. Remember in Ephesians chapter 1, it says, your life is to the praise of his glory. Whose praise? Angelic praise. When God sees that Christ saved you. Now the praise really uh, in Ephesians 1 is referring to praise towards, towards the Lord Jesus. But, but your life is uh, to the praise of his glory. And so I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. You see, this theme just continues. He loves the Egyptians, including the Egyptians that are back home who find out that Yahweh destroyed their, their army. Then the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gained honor for myself over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. And the angel of the Lord, who went before the camp, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud went before them and stood behind them. So a verse that is near and dear to my heart, the Lord used to really encourage me and strengthen me. Isaiah 52, strengthen me in a a hard decision-making time in my life. Isaiah 52, verse 12, you shall go, she will not go out with haste nor by flight for the Lord will go before you and God of Israel will be your rear guard. So that's just when we talk about the breastplate of righteousness that covers the front and the back. God is our rear guard, but he also goes before us. And so they were just given the blessing of the actual presence of the Lord with this cloud, this cloud that went before them and this pillar of cloud and, 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 and he stood behind them and it was you know it sounds corny and cliche and hypish but literally 
nothing gets to you before it gets through God first. No trial, no enemy, no demon. And that's why when you're facing a trial or warfare, you can know, okay, I'm going to trust you, Lord, because this had to go through you before it got to me. Verse 20, so it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. Thus it was a cloud and darkness to the one, and it gave light by night to the other, so that the one did not come near the other all that night. So this actually is interesting. I, I never, re- so I've taught through this before, much less read it many times, but I never really co- noticed here that it was, it, it was light at night for the Israelites and that it was dark at night so dark verse at the end of verse 20 that the one did not come near the other all that night in other words they could it was so dark the Egyptians couldn't even plan their attack and so there was just that protection again that miracle right now the Egyptians probably beginning to figure out I don't know about this thing with chasing the children of Israel. Verse 21, Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night, and made the sea into dry land, and the waters were divided. So the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on the dry ground, and the waters were a wall to them on their right hand, And on their left. And the Egyptians pursued and went after them into the midst of the sea and all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots and his horsemen. Now it came to pass in the morning watch that the Lord looked down upon the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of the fire and the cloud and he troubled the army of the Egyptians. He took off their chariot wheels. So modern technology means nothing to the Lord. He knows how to hack it. He hacks the chariot wheels here so that they drove them with difficulty and the Egyptians said, let us flee from the face of Israel for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptian. And the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea that the waters may come back upon the Egyptians on their chariots and on their horsemen. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and when the morning appeared, the sea returned to its full depth while the Egyptians were fleeing into it. So the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots, the horsemen, and all the army of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them, not so much as one of them remained. But the children of Israel had walked on dry land in the midst of the sea, and the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. So the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt. So the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. So, before I was 
uh, a Christian my freshman year of college. I sat in an Old Testament course um, of a university that at one point had been a Christian uh, university, but it, had, it, it, it cut, uh, I, guess, I think it cut its last tie while I was there, uh, there at the university. But by the time I showed up, I mean, they, they were as far from Christianity as you can imagine. And then the Old Testament professor sat, I, th- I, I sat through his course, and from beginning to the end, he explained why all the miracles of the Bible they were all true, but they can all be explained naturally. And so uh, the parting of the Red Sea was, no, it was the Sea of Reeds, and it was 18 inches of water. And, I, it, it, and to me, the thing that was so interesting, even at the time, I said, this is ridiculous. <laughs> I, wasn't even the, I didn't even have the Holy Spirit. I mean, but that's, this is ridiculous. Maybe the thing's not true at all. But don't try to tell me like a million people waded through 18 inches of water with cattle and all kinds of other stuff. It's clear from the record that there's absolutely no possibility that's true. If the Bible's true, it couldn't have been 18 inches of water. It could not have done. I mean, it says there was a wall of water, verse 22 on the right and on the left, a wall of water. It also says they were on dry ground more than once. It says they were on dry ground. It says that the waters overtook all of them, and it says that the, it, the, the Lord, that rather, rather the children of Israel, saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. You can't do that with, 18 inches of water, where there's thousands. It says none of them survived. I mean, come on, maybe they didn't know how to swim, but they at least know how to, maybe a few of them died, but they knew how to get on top of a dead body and breathe. I mean, come on. Nonsense. Unfortunately, uh, this is is what is done by many, and the tragedy is, is they think they're doing their students a favor. This man claimed to be a Christian man. He had these publications, and he, 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 had, he was an archaeologist and had attained a certain degree of fame in his life. And he, he's just on sort of the tail end of the higher criticism movement, which is a movement that started in the late 1800s in Germany, where they actually thought we're doing people a favor by trying to convince them that the stuff in the Bible really is true. But they try to explain it naturally. And I'm telling you, all it did was destroy the churches that were infiltrated by this kind of nonsense. You know, I have noticed um, over the years that a person's prayer life and the strength of it and the produce, the fruitfulness of it is directly in proportion to whether or not they believe the Bible and its miracles are true. It absolutely is the case. And, and this, is to, this, is what, this is why my blood begins to boil that Christian colleges are out there now full-on teaching deistic evolution, which is not only bad theology. God didn't use suffering to create a human being. That's nonsense but it's also bad science, as we know from our 
very own PhDs in our church here. <laughs> so, um, uh, it, it, and what it does is it destroys the faith of the people who hear it. And so the people who came up with the theory of evolution have come up with it because they do not believe in the supernatural. So they have come up with an alternate theory. So just, if Christians are going to agree with them about their scientific theory, then what about the miracles of Jesus, which were also creative miracles? When you take a withered hand which Jesus did, and make it into an arm, that's an act of creation. So those same people that you are embracing their theories on evolution, well, they're going to look at your miracles uh, in the New Testament and say they're nonsense as well. They're, they're superstition. So, you know, come on. Look, look who you're listening to. Look, look who you're following. <laughs> and, and so... Uh, the Bible, so important that we embrace a plain reading of it, a plain reading of the Word of God. And so, look, does someone need to uh, uh, believe uh, in, in, in creation, a six-day creation as opposed to evolution in order to be a, a Christian? Of course not. Uh, that's not what saves a person, but it undermines their faith. That has been my experience. That's also been the experience, um, just, I believe, of recent history. When, when churches and colleges start to embrace that type of thing, they start a long, slow period of decline. And that's, that is a tragedy. Same thing happened with the church, the body of Christ, in the late 1800s. As, as they started, churches uh, started because they were ashamed of the Word of God, because they started accepting the higher criticism movement. Those guys, you know, those Germans, uh, they're smart. Uh, and <laughs> that's where the Reformation came from. And so if Luther taught us all this stuff, these Germans must be right too. But it wound up, wound up destroying churches rather than um, building them up. And, and so many here in America um, joined the movement and were part of expanding it as well. So I don't want to blame the, all the Germans. Many, many piled on uh, after, after that started. But it did, it did speak in Germany. Interesting that, uh, I don't know about recently, but to get into Harvard Divinity School. And it's, it's, it's a... Um, travesty that they call the divinity school. They have professors who are professing atheists. But uh, 15, 20 years ago, you had to learn German in order to graduate because that's where most of the material uh, came from, most of the scholarship came from. So many of the Ivy League divinity schools, um, they you had to learn German in, in order to uh, graduate, or at least some of them. So uh, there you have it. The, the, the parting of the Red Sea, a, a real miracle. Verse 31 says, Thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt. So the people feared the Lord. They didn't fear the Lord because they had just seen a bunch of guys slop around in the 18 inches of water. 
and go and 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 go back to um, Egypt with their tails between their legs. No, they saw a, a sea overtake them, and it says, and they believed, uh, and they believed the Lord and His servant Moses. You know, it's hard to be a leader because people are awfully fickle. One day they love you, the next day they can't stand you. Right now they love Moses. It's like, wow, this Mo guy. But it's just going to take like a few days. Just a few days. And Mo is not going to be popular anymore. Chapter 15, verse 1 says, Then Moses and the children of Israel sang this song to the Lord. Now this song is a pretty remarkable song. I believe it's the first song that's mentioned or is written out uh, in the Bible. I had an interesting conversation with uh, my son Sam over the weekend. We're reading a book and the woman who wrote the book uh, believes that our worship songs and worship services should all come from the book of Psalms. And... Um, that's what she be- believes. But, the, but um, you know, I, I have great difficulty with arguments like that because she's building an argument from silence. We shouldn't do that when we're reading the Word of God. But also the Bible t- says repeatedly that God puts a new song in our hearts. And this is a new song, right? They had seen this and they just erupt in praise. And that's what the Lord does. He, he just... Uh, he puts a song in our heart after there's a great, a great deliverance uh, in our lives. And I tell you, this, this song, 45 references to God in the first 18 verses. 45. Now, I do believe we knew, do need to have discretion about what songs our worship team plays. And sometimes there are songs which yeah, man, I really love that tune. Man, I'll, I'll be singing that tune in my mind for the next three years, but that is lousy theology, and it is so incredibly, um, it, it's, it, it is so incredibly does not represent God. Uh, this song, it's, 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 it's not really about song. Maybe good to, to be listening in your car or whatever, but for a worship service, we try to really look for songs that are all about the Lord. We do like to play uh, a few, three or four hymns per month uh, or something like that in our church service because hymns are, are, are rich in worship. Uh, the nice thing about praise songs is they're talking to God, whereas hymns mostly are talking about God. So there's a whole movement that does, you know, they want only hymns in a service. And, you know, God bless you, you do that. But... God puts a new song in our heart and he puts, it's one of the wonderful things about the Christian faith. And so here, at one point, this is a new song because of a great, a great uh, deliverance. Verse one, I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song and he has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. You know, that can be a troubling verse, right? What does that mean? He's a man of war. And uh, I think 
I think, you know, until Jesus comes back and establishes his kingdom, the Lord has to be. He's got to get the job done, you know, through, through his judgments, through, through his righteous judgments. And he has to bring down wicked regimes that rise up in the world. Uh, we're called to battle with spiritual weapons, with love and peace and patience and prayer. But the Lord um, has a way of, of getting things done himself uh, through different armies ar around the world and, and, and this type of thing. And, and sometimes just uh, bringing a nation down without any war at all, which is what happened here. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has cast into the sea. His chosen captains also are drowned in the Red Sea. The depths have covered them. They sank to the bottom like a stone. Doesn't sound like 18 inches of water. Your right hand, O Lord, has become glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, has dashed the enemies in pieces. In the greatness of your excellence, you have overthrown those who rose against you. You set forth your wrath it consumed them like stubble the bible says in genesis i think it's chapter six the lord will not strive with our rebellion forever there are outpourings of wrath now we praise god that the outpouring of wrath was on jesus so that we would not have to experience it but the Bible does say in Revelation, the judgments of the Lord are righteous altogether. Verse 8, and with the blast of your nostrils, the waters were gathered together. So God just exhale. all he does is exhale. And the waters go up on, on a right wall and a left wall and there's a dry ground. All he does is exhale. The waters were gathered together. The flood stood upright like a heap. The depths congealed in the heart of the sea. Keep in mind, these are eyewitnesses to the fact this was not 18 inches water. There were eyewitnesses. <laughs> it says that the flood stood upright like a heap. Verse 9, the enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My desire shall be satisfied on them. I will draw my sword, my hand shall destroy them. You blew with your wind. The sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand. The earth swallowed them. Verse 13, wonderful verse. This verse has actually been on the wall of our children uh, for the last 20 years. A, a, a wonderful friend of ours painted this verse on the wall. Verse 13, you in your mercy have led forth the people with whom you have redeemed. You have guided them in your strength to your holy habitation. Oh, what's a wonderful verse. The people will hear and be afraid. Sorrow will take hold of the inhabitants of Philistia. And then the chiefs of Edom will be dismayed. The mighty men of Moab, trembling, will take hold of them. All the inhabitants of Canaan will melt away. Now, one of the things that the Lord wants to do by developing a history in your life is to give you confidence for the future. And that's what ha is happening here. They know where they're headed. 
They know about the Philistines already. They know about the Edomites and Moabites. They know them. Now, unfortunately, tragically, the confidence that they have is short-lived. They did, they, but they, don't, they didn't have the Spirit of God like we do. That's why we need to get before the Lord every day. Lord, stir in me the confidence that I can have in you because of the promises in the Bible. End of verse 15. All the inhabitants of Canaan will melt away. Fear and dread will fall on them. By the greatness of your arm, they will be as still as a stone till your people pass over, O Lord, till the people pass over whom you have purchased. Isn't that a wonderful foreshadowing of Jesus Christ who gave his life as a ransom for our lives? Verse 17, you will bring them in and plant them in the mountain of your inheritance in the place, O Lord, which you have made for your own dwelling, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord shall reign forever and ever. For the horses of Pharaoh went with his chariots and his horsemen into the sea, and the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them, but the children of Israel went on dry land in the midst of the sea. Verse 20, and then Miriam the prophetess. First mention of a prophetess in the Bible. The sister of Aaron took the timbrel in her hand, and all the women went out with her with timbrels and with dances. And Miriam answered them, sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea. Then they went out into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. Now what's up with this? I mean, come on. If they're really going in the right direction, if they've really been delivered, there's no water for three days. Guys, remember Abraham? He was called out of the land of Babylon, Ur, to go to a place he did not know. What happened when he got there? What was the first thing that happened? Anyone remember? He found what? I know you know. No, no, no. What did you say? No, he found famine. Famine. And so often that... uh, Sorry, sorry, Eric. Oh, yeah, yeah. I really love him. God, I repent. But um, um, it it was the opposite of water. It was famine. What did he do? He went down to Egypt and got into a whole lot of trouble. God calls us so often to a place, and then there's famine there. And so what happened to us when we first got to Boston? It happened to me. He called us up here, all kinds of Red Sea. Uh, we truly had a Red Sea experience getting up here, but then there was a famine here, just a dearth. Nothing happened, or very little happened uh, during the first season that we were here uh, in terms of ministry. It's like, Lord, what's up with this famine? What's up with this three days of no water? And the Lord's building our faith, our trust in Him. Verse 23 says, Now they came to Myra. They could not drink the waters of Merah, for they were bitter. So Merah um, means bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called Merah. And the people complained against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? 
So he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. When he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made a statute and an ordinance for them, and therefore he and there he tested. And now some people believe that this is a foreshadowing of the cross. It says a tree made the waters sweet. And the tree, two or three times in in the Bible, Jesus cross is referred to as a tree. And so could this have been one of the places where Jesus in the last chapter of the book of Luke or he's t- on, the, on the road to Emmaus with a couple of disciples he's giving them a Bible study of the book of Moses and the prophets showing him all that showed and reflected or a foreshadowing of him could that be? I don't know. For sure it's hard. You don't want to be too speculative. It could be a tree. Certainly the cross and the resurrection have brought our sweetness into our the bitterness of our, our life. There he made us, uh, rather, verse 26, he said, if you diligent, diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on which I have brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals us. God does heal. He does. And it is important that we go to the Lord for healing. And, and you know, should we not go to doctors? Absolutely, you should go to doctors. But you should always go first to the Lord because he may want to heal you before any doctor gets in front of you. He may want to heal you. His name is Jehovah Rapha. I am the God who heals you. So in a few li- uh, times in my life, just miraculous healings, just like spooky kind of situations. It hasn't happened many times, but it has happened. And, the, and we get to know this is part of God's character. Remember, he said, I am who I am. And, and that means he is who his name is. He is who his character is. He's Jehovah Shalom, the God of peace. He is peace. God is love. God is uh, our provider, Jehovah, Jehovah Jireh. But let's remember that he's also Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals you. Verse 27, then they came to Elam where there were 12 wells of water and 70 palms, trees. So they camped there by the waters. Now, I, I, we're going to close there, except I want to read the first phrase of chapter 16. It says, and, and they journeyed from Elim. What, Lord? Come on. <laughs> I want to stay near the 12 wells of water and the 70 palm trees. You know, the Lord does lead us to Elim. I look at my life and there's a series of Elims in my life. But this side of heaven, this side of the rapture, he's never going to let us stay there. Because we're in a battle now. He has a plan for us. He has a plan for his kingdom to grow in and through us. He has a a life for us and, and we're never supposed to get too comfortable with comfort with Aline. 
this incredible picture of relief, 12 wells of water with 70 palm trees. The beginning of chapter 16 says, but he, then they journeyed from there. Why? Because the cloud got up and moved forward. It's like, okay, we got to go. Okay, so we close out on Sunday nights with prayer. We get into little groups of four and five in the worship. Uh, Sarah is going to come up.